everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to It's All About Food. I'm here with Gary DiMattei. Happy New Year, Karen. Happy New Year, Gary. I have to say that when we do this together, it is a very happy, joyful time for me because most of the day we're doing our own projects, we're not together, and here's a moment where we actually get to look at each other face-to-face, talk about things that we love, and there are always wonderful surprises. That's a great way to start off the new year, isn't it? I think so. Looking at each other face-to-face. With wonderful surprises? With wonderful surprises. (laughs) I hope everybody out there listening to this podcast had a wonderful New Year's celebration and you're all happy and safe and healthy and warm. We wish you that and we wish you all good things in 2023. And I just want you also to know that I don't have a hangover. Do you have a hangover, Karen? I don't. We didn't drink. drink. Although I did have a serious tinnitus afterwards because we were in a real noisy, fun New Year's Eve party. And what about noisemakers? How do you feel about those? And how do you feel about things like confetti cannons and those little champagne bottles that you pull the string and out pops lovely streamers and all of that good stuff? I remember sitting at the table for our New Year's Eve dinner, which we'll talk about in a second, I'm sure, because it's a vegan food dish that we had at a non-vegan food table. But I remember picking through confetti (laughs) in my salad. And that was... Yeah, confetti was was everywhere. It was green confetti. So it was hard to tell what was confetti and what was lettuce. And I had all kinds of fun colors in my sparkling water too. They dropped everywhere. Sparkling water with fun colors just adds a new new interpretation to sparkling water. But I, I I have a question for you, Karen. Is paper vegan? Because I think I ate some paper (laughs) in my romaine salad with oil and vinegar. I think for the most part, it can be vegan. It depends on the dyes that are used to color the paper. See, that's it. I may have eaten a piece of paper confetti. Yeah. But but most paper that's white has just titanium dioxide in it, which is approved for consumption, not necessarily good for you, but and we, in and small we, amounts, it's supposed to be okay. And we, meaning you, have had lots of experience with titanium dioxide. Oh, yeah. You remember that, Carrie. Yeah, because you worked for DuPont. A long time ago. But I a lot of people may not devil. remember that because you are... A chemical engineer. You have a master's in chemical engineering and one of your first jobs out of college. It was my first job out of college. Was working for DuPont at a titanium dioxide plant. Yes. Wow. Tell us a little bit about titanium dioxide. I wasn't expecting to go there, but we're going there, right? Is that the same stuff that they add water to and make things like liquid paper? Yeah, it's for paint, papers, plastics. And for food products. And see, this is all about food. So let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) And you can also find it in some skincare products, especially sunscreens, because it's white, like zinc oxide, and can block the sun. So the the reason that we have titanium dioxide in the world is for aesthetic reasons. It's to make things white. Yes. I remember saying when I worked for DuPont that our mission was to make things whiter, brighter, quicker, and cheaper. So you were you were basically cleaning up things with titanium oh, dioxide. Well, not cleaning, but 
Masking. Masking, yes. You were masking things. Yeah, and it was funny because we would walk around the plant. It couldn't have been that healthy for us, the atmosphere, because even though everything was enclosed for the most part, white would get out. And the people that worked with the machines in the plant, we were all issued steel-toed boots and these green work jackets and and, um, hard hats. But they were always covered in white. Wow. Now, this is great because some of this titanium dioxide would go into food, as you've just mentioned. Yeah. And I've been reading that even though it's approved for consumption in small amounts, that it may not be very good for us. It doesn't sound like it's very good for us. And we're going to be talking a lot about things that they add to food today on the show. Always. That might not be very good for us, even though they're vegan. Vegan and approved. Right, because what we're all about here is not only saving the animals, but saving one another as well. And, and being good to the to our Mother Earth right, and all life on Earth. And we consider saving one another also saving the animals because we consider the animals as part of us. Absolutely. Right, they are one of us. So that's what It's All About Food is all about. It's all about not only saving the animals, but saving the humans... The human animal. The human animal. As much as we don't want to think we're animals, we are. So just because people are making vegan products doesn't necessarily mean that Karen Harkless of Responsible Eating and Living and Gary DiMattei would tell you all to go out and buy it. So that's what this program is about today. Right. It's about, it's a new year. Let us talk about some of these new vegan products that are coming out on the market. And also let's talk about... If they're good for you, the human who is ingesting them, or if they are just masked with some interesting flavors, and yet maybe it's not something you might want to eat, but if you do want to eat it, you are now going to be informed about it. We're talking to you, our wonderful audience, but I know that Many people out there don't know what's in their food, don't care what's in their food. They just want it because it tastes good and has a nice texture and maybe is affordable. Still, I would like to reach some of them. So the more educated we are and those who want to know more about their food, the more educated they become, I think it will rub off ultimately on everyone else. So we have a duty here. Right. And a lot of these flavors that they are trying to mimic by adding chemicals to them, why? Because they want them to taste like animal products. Right. But why? Why can't we evolve away from that? Why can't we move away from that? In 2023, can we please move away from trying to create products that still taste like animals, even though they aren't animals? Is that not the most ironic thing we could ever do? Is, hi, we're going to save the animals, but we're still going to eat things that taste like animals. What the bleep are we doing? You know, I'm glad... You said all of this because I was thinking about past years opening up at the beginning of the year and talking about one thing that I wanted, my wish for the year. And many years it was I wished for the end of factory farming, the end of animal agriculture. Okay, that hasn't happened yet, and I'm still wishing it. And then, of course, I always wished to make more vegans. And that's happening to a certain extent. To a certain extent, yeah, it is. But what you just said is I think what we might 
add to our list of things to focus on, which is, can this be the year, can this be a turning point where we move away from trying to make products that look and taste like animal foods, but don't come from animals because the population is starting to understand that raising animals for food to feed people is not environmentally sustainable. It's a disaster for the environment. It's bad for global warming. It's horrifically cruel and it's not good for us. We're getting that. We're slowly getting it. It's like seeping, leaching out to the population. Oh, leaching's a good word. (laughs) But it's not the right way to go. We have everything we need in front of our noses. Right. You've said it many times. We have this wonderful world of whole foods, not the market, but actual whole foods. And now we continue to try and mask these foods with the flavors of animals that are vegan. And I think the new year is the perfect time to discuss this because in the song, Old Lang Syne, it's telling you to forget about these old things and move on to Mm. some new things. Mm. So why are we continuing to try and mimic the taste of animals in our vegan food. Well, just, the human has always fascinated and me. And I ask many questions my, about humans that I don't have answers for. My answer is nostalgia. Oh, that's a good one. Nostalgia, like the song says, old Lang Syne, is why we do what we do. We want the foods to taste like when we were being raised by mom and dad and they were cooking us our food we want it to we want to remember them through the food they made for us i think a lot of it is nostalgia well speaking of nostalgia gary towards the end of 2022 when the holidays were upon us i decided in my mind that i wanted to make some treats yes and i first started with biscotti which we made and devoured they're gone then we made cuchadati, and they're gone. And the last thing on my list was to make cannoli. Yes. And I succeeded. Holy cannoli, did you ever. And that is something that's nostalgic for me. Right. Because I grew up on Long Island in an area that had a big Italian community and a lot of Italian bakeries. And I loved cannoli. I loved that sweet vanilla ricotta ricotta filling with little specks of chocolate in it. Oh, yeah. So we made cannoli a few years ago, the recipes at responsibleeatingandliving.com, and I wanted to revisit that and make a new filling. Yeah, a new filling. But you also started a couple of years ago by saying you wanted to make a cannoli shell that we didn't have to deep fry, just like your potato pancake for Hanukkah. Yes. You wanted to do a baked potato pancake. And I thought you were really up for the challenge to do this, and you succeeded. It was pretty easy, actually. But a lot of folks would not not say it was easy. They think that baking something is a lot harder than Mm. just putting it in the deep fryer. But you really succeeded at making a wonderful cannoli shell. This time I used my latest gluten-free flour mix. Oh, so the shell was also gluten-free. Gluten-free, not fried, vegan, almost no guilt. Absolutely. But I just, I've been testing a lot of our recipes that have used gluten-free flour and I've used 
Bob's Red Mill gluten-free flour. I've used Bob's one-to-one gluten-free flour. I've made my own. I've made combinations of different rice flours and starches and whatever. And now I've honed in to something I'm very happy with because it's all whole foods. It's garbanzo beans, millet, and oats. And isn't one of the reasons that you didn't like Bob's because it wasn't organic? It wasn't organic. I mean, we love Bob. He makes a lot of really... Good organic products, but no organic gluten-free flour. Right. So... Anyway, so I've been modifying, or not even modifying, I've been remaking a lot of our recipes using this new mix to make sure it works. And it's been working. (laughs) So I'm happy about that. It's a great mix. And if anybody's tried it out there, let... Give me some feedback. Yeah, it's up on the website. Give us some feedback. Let us know if you like it, if it's behaving well for you. So I made the cannoli shell, and then I wanted to make the filling with our almond ricotta. So many of you must know that we like to make a ricotta by soaking almonds, and I like using raw organic almonds, even though in the United States, a raw almond isn't completely raw but I don't want to have to go there. It looks raw. (laughs) Right. And sometimes you can buy almonds from Spain, which I like very much, which haven't been heated. So they really are raw, but I'm, I'm digressing. I take these almonds, I soak them overnight, and then I peel off the skins. That might be a little too much effort for people. I suppose you could use slivered almonds that are already- Blanched almonds. They have whole blanched blanched almonds. Right. What they're doing to blanch them is they're blistering- the skins by dropping them in hot oil Oh, for just a quick second, and that's how they pull them off. Well, but, but you would still have to soak them because soak them. they need to take in the water so that after they're soaked, you can blend them with a little water. This recipe originated by making a ricotta where we added a little miso to it, so it was a, had a little salty, savory cheesiness. Ricotta does... But and again, for- we're trying to mask the ricotta... Almond ricotta with the little touch of salt there that you find in real ricotta. Now, I didn't add miso to this ricotta. It was great. And what I ended up adding was vanilla and some chopped shaved chocolate and powdered sugar. A lot of the times, too, you can take dried fruit, chop it up, and add it to your ricotta mixture. And that also gives you a cannoli filling. There are some cannoli fillings that have dried fruit in them. Our previous recipe, which was made with tofu and cashews, we made this originally when we first made the cannoli shell. That had the dried fruit in it. Right. But my nostalgic memory... Is the chocolate. Was the chocolate. Mine too. So we made it, and it was amazing. Delicious. Oh my God. And the recipe is at Responsible Eating and Living, and it's wonderful. It really was a... A hit. Now, just so folks know what we were talking about when we said biscotti and cuchadati, those are cookie recipes that Karen has made before, and they're awfully good. And they're all vegan, of course, and gluten-free. And you don't need to wait for the end of the year to have them. Yeah, you can make them anytime. Anytime you want. And my favorite out of all three, of course, the cannoli was brilliant, and, and the biscotti was absolutely wonderful. But my favorite was your cuchadati. I've never tasted a cookie like that before in my life. And I was raised on cuchadatis. And you told me that cuchadati wasn't your favorite cookie. Wasn't my favorite cookie, but now it is. Yeah. Now it is. It's a really good one. It was tremendous. Yeah. Also made with the new real gluten-free flour mix. Yeah. 
and uh, no sprinkles. But hey, who cares? I suppose I could get sprinkles, but they don't need sprinkles. They don't it's, need sprinkles. They look classier. Without. I've had them growing up. And again, we're talking about nostalgia here. So it was what I had when I was growing up. And a lot of them had the little sprinkles on them and a lot of them didn't. And some of them weren't even iced. They were just the plain cookie. But these have a little bit of, of white icing on them. I'm sure not made with titanium dioxide. None. None. All whole foods, real ingredients. Anyway, so I don't have a hangover because I didn't drink. And yet my ears were ringing because of the confetti cannons and the noisemakers. <laughs> speaking of little sprinkles on top of Cuchidati's. So thank you for clearing up that paper may be vegan. I want to say that it was very festive. It was very fun. Yeah, so but, let's talk a little bit about but that. But also, the the products that were used were were wasteful. Sure. There was a lot of waste. A lot of waste. Lots of garbage bags full of confetti at the cleanup afterwards and other things. But people had a great time. And this is a party that we've gone to off and on for the last, I know I was a part of your life about 15 years ago when I went to my first party at your friend's place in Pennsylvania. And it has changed over the years. And this time we had, we were served a vegan meal as we were in the past. And so what we had was a salad with oil and vinegar mm -hmm. and lasagna. A cheeseless lasagna. Right. It or, had zucchini, tomato sauce. Right. Noodles. And that was what we had for dinner. And then um, a lot of drinking was going on. But as I mentioned, we weren't drinking. So what happens the day after you drink all night <laughs> and you have a hangover, let's say? What, what happens to your body when you drink well, alcohol? Well, what's interesting is alcohol is really poison. Just right. just putting it out there. It's it's not something that we need to consume <laughs> to live. And it actually does way more harm than good. And the research that keeps coming out, there's been research that says a glass of wine a day or something is really good for you. And I'm not buying it. More of the research is coming out and saying the best amount of alcohol in your body is none. Right. But I... I I like a glass of wine occasionally or maybe sure. a beer. Sure. But your body is working to flush out the toxins. Yes. And it gets harder as we age Toxin to being break the, down yeah. and process the alcohol. Right. And your kidneys and your liver are forced to do some major work as well. Your stomach lining is all kinds of irritated. Uh, you may experience, now this is the part that I found interesting in the link that I'm sure you're going to post. Yes. About where we're getting this information. The, and this is, this also supports what you had just said just now about how it makes you feel down and depressed and you may be experiencing anxiety after you drink. The only thing that you feel can make you feel better is another drink. And I know for me, when you said, a lot of people say drinking a glass of wine every day is good for you or having a cocktail every day is good for you. I don't buy it either because I tried that for a while. I tried having a glass of wine or a cocktail every day. And every day I got more and more depressed. There was more and more anxiety in my life. And so that in and of itself, not knowing what it was doing on me physically, but what it was doing to me emotionally was really 
the one thing that has now led me to not drinking at all anywhere, anytime, because I don't like feeling depressed. We know that that depression is on the rise, anxiety is on the rise, more people are uncomfortable. There's more discussion about it as well and acknowledging trauma that can occur in childhood right. and there are more tools to deal with it. I don't know how well these tools work, but they're out there and all of that's good. But this is a hard planet to live on. Yeah. And I think after the holidays, especially if people have been partying and enjoying themselves, the impact of alcohol as a poison, along with not celebrating anymore for everything coming back to, quote, normal and humdrum and routine, can bring on really the, bad feelings. Really bad depression. And, you know, I have an addictive personality. I'm just figuring that out now after all of these years. I mean, I was telling you the other day, <laughs> I went jogging. And in my mind, I'm getting to know me now and what what I do to myself. So in my mind, as I'm running and it's starting to get a little more difficult, my mind starts saying, don't you want to just stop on the corner there of that pizza parlor you just passed and get a large vegan pizza? Because they have vegan pizza. You could just stop and get it. Why don't you just stop and get the pizza? Just go ahead. And I'm as I'm running, my head is telling me that. Come on, sit down, have the pizza, have a beer. You've run enough. And so right away, I'm, I'm sensing... Oh, this is why I overate, because it was something that that made me feel good. Uh, Temporarily. Until, until after I ate. Yeah. And so, so I know now that having the one glass or the two glasses or the three glasses of champagne, your mind is telling you, oh, come on, it's New Year's Eve. Have a drink, have a drink, have a drink. Celebrate. And again, you're going back to the nostalgia, you're going back to the images you were raised with, with people having a good time at parties, carrying these really classy martini glasses. And when smoking was acceptable, you saw pictures and films and movies with people drinking and eating and smoking. And so that all seemed really cool, wearing tuxedos. Now I'm just like, nah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So like you said, after you take down all the decorations and after you've been partying for the entire month, what feelings do you have? You have the feelings of depression, anxiety. And so you go into the drugstore and you see uh, Valentine's Day cards and, and heart-shaped boxes of chocolate. And that's when you start to think, oh, okay, life's not so bad. We're going to go now into Valentine's Day. <laughs> if, yeah, but if you have to drink... If you want to drink, there are suggestions. So one is to stay hydrated. And if you have a drink, you can have your alcoholic beverage and then have a glass of water. Right. And nurse that glass of water so that you don't have to have another glass with alcohol in it. But really stay hydrated and dilute it one-to-one -one with your alcoholic beverage and then water. And then it's also recommended to avoid the darker colored alcoholic drinks, the ones that I like the most, the whiskeys and the red wines. But gin and vodka are better because they have they have fewer alcohol components things like congeners or methanol metabolites which tend to exacerbate hangover symptoms right you and, like and the, the sugary drinks too you should avoid as well because oh, they can yeah. irritate the stomach so uh, the things that help us normally in life mm -hmm. are the things that can help you also when you're drinking so in addition to hydrating 
You want to eat before you drink and you want to eat nutrient-dense foods, the foods that we always tell you to eat, the berries, parsley, citrus, sweet potatoes, things that are going to sit well in your stomach. And absorb all of that yeah. alcohol. Anyway, let's drink to that. Let's drink to that. And let's uh, let's see, did you get any gifts? You know how sometimes you get all of these food gifts and they're sitting around, seems like, until... Until Easter or Passover, you get your your Christmas gifts. I remember I used to do a bit in a show that I wrote <laughs> where what people what do people do with all of those boxes of panettone that they got for the holidays, and then you know they're still sitting around at Easter. <laughs> so um, anybody get any food gifts that are of note? I know a lot of times that when I was growing up, my family would get. Big boxes of fruit from mm. ranchers that my That's my nice. dad had known over the years, and dried fruit and and nuts, lots of nuts in the shells, not not nuts that were out of the shells. We used to have to sit around the table and take hammers and crack all That's of the walnuts. Fun. Yeah, those were the memories I had. But uh, did you get any interesting food gifts this uh, holiday season, Karen? Yeah. So just before Christmas, I think we had. Some neighbors over for dinner. Not vegan. <laughs> and I, I'm always trying to proselytize and influence everyone. We made a really nice vegan dinner. We were going to go out that night to our favorite vegan Chinese restaurant in Manhattan. But the weather was frightful. Weather as they outside say. was frightful. So we invited them over our house for dinner. And we had some really nice conversation, really good food. Somehow it got on to talking about Korea and kimchi because the woman in the couple is of Korean background. She makes kimchi. And I didn't know she was going to make us some, but just the other day, a big bucket of homemade vegan kimchi was delivered. And it was sweet because kimchi traditionally is not vegan. It's made from cabbage, like Napa cabbage and Korean radish. And it can have seasonings in it, like onions and garlic and ginger. But it also can have seafood in it or some sort of fish sauce. Right. And instead of that, they ended up going out and looking all over the place to find umami sauce, which is shiitake mushroom base with herbs. And they also told me they used a pear seasoning, a pear sauce in there. How nice. Yes. So it's vegan and we just had it and it's really, really yummy. I'm acting really surprised here, but as you know, I live at Responsible Eating and Living with Karen and I was just setting her up for the conversation about kimchi because I thought it was one of the the nicest food gifts I've ever received and also... One of the most unique food gifts, because around the holidays, you wouldn't expect to receive kimchi. And kimchi is a good food. Oh, let's talk about the benefits. Because it's fermented. Yeah, what are the benefits of fermented food? I mean, they just, they're great and vast. It's wonderful. Fermented food is good for the gut. Right. It has all those wonderful probiotics. Yeah, it's it's an antioxidant, it's an antimicrobial, it's an antifungal, it's an anti-inflammatory, it's an anti-diabetic, it's an anti-arterial sclerotic activity food. It's good for everything. I just want to make one note, a caveat perhaps, mm-hmm. that kimchi, like other fermented foods like sauerkraut, 
It's a high sodium food. So I use it like a garnish. I don't need a whole bowl of it. I might put it on salad or top it on other things or even chop it up. In put it in foods, rice. Which reminds me, I had in Europe, where was it? Oh, it was at Mildred's in Soho. In London. In London. I had the bokeumbap. Right. Which is a fried rice, a Korean dish, and... Rice is stir-fried with other ingredients, and the, one of the ingredients that it's mixed with is the kimchi. So I had a kimchi fried rice dish. Oh, it's really right. so, so good. So you could take that kimchi that our neighbor gave us, and we could add it to rice, and it would be awesome. Awesome, and some other vegetables. Some other vegetables. I think maybe that's a little, dinner tomorrow. Maybe a little <laughs> tofu or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Kimchi Wednesday tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And speaking of Mildred's in London, I'm so happy to announce that your blog The is- 25 Day Magical European Tour, which is a subcategory of the What Vegans Eat blog, is up. It's is done. Up. It's done. And it's fantastic. And it not only talks about our last day in London at Mildred's, which is one of my favorite blogs. I actually cried last night after reading all of it. <laughs> And it went up on on the site, and I didn't. I never realized I ate so many burgers. I ate a ton of burgers. That's usually your go-to choice, right? So a veggie burger, and I, I usually don't, and I didn't in in Europe. I ate only burgers that the restaurant had made. I didn't eat Beyond Burgers or Impossible Burgers. I ate a variety of different burgers with beans and grains and even mushrooms. <laughs> I even had some mushrooms. That's, that's true. And and reading through it, did you have a favorite day, a favorite week, a favorite few days? Well, that last day in London really was a, a winner because first we went to Mildred's in Soho, and I could live there, frankly. The food is Me so too. wonderful. I had a matcha latte, and then I had the... Bokeumbap, the Korean fried rice, and you had a wonderful tali dish of all different kinds of dishes in, in smaller dishes on a plate. And then later on, we just discovered, well, I researched a little. I went to happycow.net and wanted to see what else was in the neighborhood where we were going. And we found this vegan Thai restaurant. Oh. That was so heavenly. The food was so, so good. That was, was probably the best food day. Yeah, that was a great food day. Let's talk about happycow.net just a second. A shout out to them. That was really a... Oh, such go- a great resource. Great resource for us when we were in Europe. Happycow.net will tell you where you can go to eat anywhere on the planet, pretty much. And you can select vegan only and see if there are any, or vegetarian, or places that have vegan options. And there are a lot of comments for different places. I have yet to add mine, but now that the blog is finished, I may go back to happycow.net and add my two cents. Yeah, check out the blog, everybody. It's terrific. The best part about the day 24 that Karen is talking about, well, I mean, the entire day was amazing. But we learned so much that day. We had been trying to use our credit cards on the bus system 
And we found out that we could have just used our credit card on the bus system. No, you just said to say that again, right? We were trying to use our credit cards that I put into an app that I thought we needed to use the app right. on the public transportation system. That's what I meant. And you could use the app, only when we did it, it didn't work. But what I didn't know is we could just tap and go, like you can go most places these days, just tap your credit card on things. Yeah. So That was an embarrassing thing. It took a few few days to figure that out. But we figured it out. But we figured it out. And when we went to the bridge theater near the bridge... The Tower Bridge. Right. We also discovered, which is why I love London for, I love London for many reasons, but in the theater concession area, we were able to buy a little cup, which was a perfect end to our day, our full day, which you'll read about, of vegan chocolate and vegan vanilla bean ice cream. Mm. And they had that in the theater. I mean, it was such a delightful how surprise. How incredible was that? I felt so at home. Right. So London was definitely one of the favorites, but there were so many. That vegan bakery in Aix-en-Provence was amazing. Just now, I know I I don't want to eat croissant every day and pain au chocolat, but it's sure nice to have a fantasy that I could. Right. <laughs> and you know the thing that I liked about the croissant more than I like about the memory I have of eating croissant with butter is that the butter, as we are going to talk about a little bit on this show, has a tendency, no matter what it's in, to taste like you're eating butter. Dairy butter. Dairy butter. Whatever the the owner and pastry chef of this bakery uses, it didn't overpower the croissant with a flavor of vegan butter. The actual flavor of the croissant came out, and it was wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about why butter might do that. Well, I don't know why butter might do that, but I do know that not eating dairy, and then this hasn't happened recently, but on occasion when I would ask for something that didn't have dairy and there might be butter on it, and I could taste that butter right away. And after not eating dairy for so long, butter has kind of a sickeningly sweet flavor. That's a very overpowering flavor. It overpowers everything that it touches. Yeah, and and when you're not used to eating it, it's not pleasant. It's not a pleasant taste anymore. Right. So, So a lot of people just, they dip things into butter because all they want is that butter. Plus, when they're dipping something in butter, it's usually got plenty of salt in it too. So it's that old, you know, trio... Sugar, salt, salt sugar. and oil. Yeah, salt, sugar, and fat, oil. Because butter has that sugar in it because it comes from cow milk, and milk has that sugar in it, which is supposed to be for the baby, the baby cow, the calf, that's supposed to be drinking it. And we all have this affinity for sweet where we're designed that way but we don't want to have overly sweet like we do today. But anyway, the milk is supposed to have a sweetness to it. But I find that in buttery products with made with cow butter, it's a sickeningly sweet taste. So now we have vegan butters that are out there that really match dairy butter in so many ways. We enjoy using Miyoko's butter. Sometimes we use Miyoko's recipe for making vegan butter. There are a number of other ones out there. And I'm reading about a vegan butter that is in Europe. And it's the Be Better My Friend 
company. It's a Dutch company, and it's a trio of founders, a chef, Marien van Burden, it's a food scientist, Per Castells, and a global food strategist, Joost Lindemann. And if I've mispronounced any of those names, I'm sorry. Of course, they're starting with an ethical mission. They want to end the bakery sector's dependence on animal-derived ingredients for all the reasons why we know. They're using shea nut butter. Shea nut butter. Mixed with other ingredients, but that seems to be the why? primary ingredient. And what they want to do is bring the flavors to highlight to the forefront in a pure, honest, and more intense way because they say that these flavors are often masked by the taste of dairy butter. See? There you go. And it's got 86% less use of scarce water, 79% smaller carbon footprint, 30 to 40% more cost-effective, zero harm, obviously, to the animals, zero harm to the rainforest, and 100% plant-based. It sounds fascinating. Well, they're... Targeting the commercial bakers. So you can probably product? make a croissant with this I'm because thinking. It's, mm-hmm. it says it's plant based butter for pastry. Right. And you can read many testimonials on the BeBetterMyFriend.com website by chefs in Europe. Yeah, it says teaming up with pastry chefs to be better. I forget the name of the guy who runs the French bakery in X. Quentin. Only it's like Quentin. Quentin. It's hard to say in French. That guy is amazing. Amazing. And check out, Karen has a, one of the days in, in the blog, Karen took a lot of pictures, and there's a picture of Quentin in his bakery. And, and all the products. Oh, you just want to lift, really, lick the screen, right? Really great. So this <laughs> butter might be something we all want to try. Now, we don't get any kickbacks from this company. It's only in Europe right now, so you have to travel to Europe to try it. Of course, it's only in Europe. It's there with the table that we want that they won't ship to us. And can we talk about some other dairy products that are coming out and about that are plant-based? So I thought this was amusing. There's a company called Chick Pea. It's Chick and a capital letter P. Chick Pea Protein. It's a food tech startup, and it's out of Israel. And that makes me smile because... We all know that the Middle East, Israel, and other countries are well known for their hummus, the chickpea pate. Hummus means chickpea. (laughs) And the chickpea is a very important food. We have praised the chickpea or the garbanzo bean over and over and over. We love garbanzo bean flour. We like to make soca crepes with them. We love the aquafaba the water that comes from soaking the chickpeas and cooking them that we can whip up into meringue. Chickpeas are amazing. You can do so much with them. And now this one company is making a chickpea protein isolate that they're using for plant-based ice cream. It says chickpea raises dairy-free ice cream to new heights. And so when you say chickpea isolate, you could take off the chick and... Compare it to pea isolate. Yeah, so there's a pea protein isolate as well. There's the soybean isolate. And And how do you feel about isolates? Thank you. I'm not a a fan of isolates because they're highly processed. We opened by saying this program is all about saving the animals, but it's all about saving the human animal as well. And so are isolates good for us? Is any highly processed food good for us? 
it's all relative. So if you're comparing any of these products that are made with a plant-based isolate, it's better than its animal counterpart environmentally and health-wise. But if you compare it to beans and rice with lots of herbs and spices, of course not. The beans and rice, the simpler food, which can be as delicious and, in my opinion, more delicious than the isolate products, the whole food or minimally processed food is always superior. Excellent. And we want to get away from calling them chickpeas, so we'll go back to saying garbanzo beans. Yeah, I like calling them garbanzo because beans. Because isn't the reason they called them chickpea was because it's a feed for For chick- chickens. Right. Yeah. Well, we'd like to take the chick out of the pea <laughs> and just call it a garbanzo bean. I like garbanzo, garbanzo bean. Garbanzo bean is fun to say, actually. So. And the garbanzo bean is a high-fat bean, so I can understand how it could work well in an ice cream. Except they're isolating the protein out of it, so maybe they're leaving the fat behind. But we should try making an ice cream without isolating the protein and using the garbanzo bean. We've made cookies with garbanzo beans, right? Oh, those peanut they're butter amazing. those peanut butter garbanzo bean cookies that you have on yeah. the Oh, those yeah. are great. Really try those. Good. Those are bars, right? They're like You a- can make I make bars out of them because the dough can be very wet and i find that making a bar is easier than molding it into a cookie but depending on the beans and how much you've cooked them and how moist they are and they, if, if they you're trying to stay away from a cookie or a bar if you're trying to stay away from sugar you could always substitute dates or our apricot butter anyway the garbanzo bean is a miracle food and it's just interesting that we have this israeli company chickpea protein ltd making ice cream in, with yeah. chickpeas. And another thing I wanted to mention, there was a study that came out recently. It's called Nutritional Composition and Estimated Iron and Zinc Bioavailability of Meat Substitutes Available on the Swedish Market. So this study is available on PubMed. And a variety of meat substitutes that were available in Sweden were used in the study. And they were analyzed for fiber, fat, iron, zinc, phytate, salt, phenolics, protein, their amino acid and fatty acid composition. And the study focused on the bioavailability of iron and zinc based on the phytate to mineral molar ratio. Okay, that's a mouthful of scientific stuff. But the bottom line is the study said that a lot of these meat substitutes were very high in phytates which made the absorption of iron and zinc difficult and limited. But they did point out that tempeh stood out as a protein source with large potential due to low phytate content and an iron content close to the level of what nutrition they claimed. So a lot of these meat substitutes say they are loaded with iron and zinc, but your body cannot absorb them because of the high phytate content. But tempeh was a winner. Why? Because tempeh is practically a whole food. It's just the soybean that's been fermented. Nothing's been isolated. It's a whole food and it's also a fermented food. And we are talking about fermented foods as being good for you. And I like tempeh. And you can flavor up tempeh a lot of different ways. And we have a lot of recipes for it at Responsible Eating Living in all sorts of different ways. That's a really cool study. Well, I think we'll find out over time if people look. (laughs) Right. That whole foods, minimally processed foods, are the best in all categories. 
Yeah, and there, there's coming there. Except maybe the category for making tons of money by making value-added yeah. products that you can sure. sell for more money. No one is going to get wealthy off of the tried and true products that work. Only the new trendy products like Nestle's. Yes, that Nestle's. Mm. And their development now of a plant-based foie gras alternative for European markets. How about that? Nestle's is getting into the... If you can't beat them, join them, right? Yeah. It, it's it's good and it's aggravating at the same time. Nestle's been a pretty evil company over time. Yeah. With their baby milk formulas that have been a disaster where they have gone into developing nations and tried to convince mothers to stop breastfeeding and use their formulas when they didn't even have good water to use. No. Oh, sad stuff. But they're making a foie gras plant-based alternative because they see money in it. Now, we had an excellent foie gras in Europe, and it's in your blog, that I thought was very fine. We bought it in that little shop, that little health food shop. It was in a, came in a glass jar. Yeah, yeah. And it was delicious. We put it on some baguette. There's, we- there's a lot of foie gras alternatives more so in Europe because foie gras is a more important product there. But this was just made with whole foods. This was made from yeah. nuts and beans and it was delicious. And of course, a little salt. Throw some oil in some of those products oh, too. Sure. There's a wide range of plant-based foie gras products out there. And you know, Gary, you and I could probably come up with one that was pretty tasty and pretty good for you. I think we have. I think we've made some, and I think we might even have a recipe or two. Well, we have our vegan chopped liver. There you go. And that's that, wh- Okay, that's more like um, the traditional chopped liver. That's not like the high-end... Dense, fatty, smooth... Duck and goose... Buttery... Foie gras that yeah, this is are just, sold this for is just, ridiculous amounts. This... Vegan chopped liver is fantastic. And yeah, I've been I, it, making it a lot lately. It's really an easy thing to right. make and very, very You could certainly make that denser, thicker, heavier as well. Well, we'd probably need to use a different tool because I use a food processor and it doesn't make it as smooth right. as foie gras should you be. just need a, need a more high-powered yeah, food processor. Yeah, maybe do it in the like Vitamix a Robo-Coup. or something. A Robocoup. Yeah, those are commercial... Okay, let's get one of those. A Roboku. Those are dangerous. But yeah, we could get one. So yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are now saying, well, this plant-based movement, we can get rich if we mask the flavors and make it taste like the nostalgia that Philadelphia cream cheese brings when you hear that term. There's another one that's now launching plant-based spread is the, the makers of Philadelphia cream cheese. And you know, those of us that have been eating vegan for 30 plus years, (laughs) we've been enjoying vegan cream cheeses for a long time. Tofuti came out with one. Long time ago. Long time ago. And they've continued to improve their product. And now these big evil companies are coming out with their own versions of it. (laughs) Right? If you can't beat them, join them. So we went into Manhattan the other night. It was after Christmas. It was the day before New Year's Eve. And we stopped by our friends that used to be called 
Maywa, but now they're called lilies. Lilies.、Mm-hmm. And they had the to go with the cream cheese. They had the oh, they have the vegan locks. They had the vegan locks. Oh yeah. So there's a lot that's already out. A、there. lot of locks out there. There's a lot that's already <laughs> out there. And it was really fun looking at all those products, and we brought our friends that weren't vegan, and their eyes were just popping out, like, "Oh my goodness, look at this, and look at this, and look at this." Yeah, if you're ever downtown Manhattan and want to see a fabulous array of plant-based meat alternatives, stop into Lilies. Yeah, and you could go online. They're online. Yeah, they're also online. Yeah, really fun stuff. Okay, But- so it's the new year. Maybe you're making resolutions. Maybe you're not. It's now Veganuary. Veganuary. It's time to go vegan if you're not, and you can do it in the month of Veganuary. Veganuary. <laughs> now, what we can celebrate is that more people know what the word vegan means. More people know that horrific cruelty is happening to animals that are raised for food. More people know that raising animals for food. To feed people is devastating to the environment. More people know this, and we see it with all of the vegan products that are coming out. Maybe they're not products that I think are that good for us, but there's a market out there, and people want to capitalize on that market. So we have to acknowledge that and and say that's a good thing. More people are interested, but at the same time. People know they should be eating more plants, and they want to eat more plants. And even in restaurants, they look for dishes that have a high plant <laughs> ratio to everything else. But I still find that everyone has excuses. It's all about excuses, and rather than having the courage to do what's right, having the courage to do what's right for our individual health, for health of the family, for the health of the planet, and For the ethical action for animals. Yeah, and speaking of that, we just screened a film that you are going to be interviewing the writer and director, and it's not just about what we eat, but it's about what we wear. Yeah, that's the other thing about being vegan. So one was、uh, indeed with、uh, the film for Slay, which I can't wait to talk about. And if you have the opportunity to watch it, please do. We'll talk more about it when I interview Rebecca Capelli, who is. The director about the film Slay. About the film Slay, and is it available for screening? It's on Amazon. Oh, okay. It's on Amazon. It is not free on Amazon. Even if you have a a Prime account, it's a minimal, a few dollars. But yeah, it, we bought it for four ninety five. It's worth watching and worth investing in because this is about all life on Earth. Yeah. It's not only the animals that we're using and slaughtering to make skins and furs and things of that nature, but it's about the people working in these horrific conditions. So I've known about leather and leather manufacture for a long time. I haven't worn wool and leather and silk in over thirty years, but I learned things in this film. Yes, I learned that it's far worse than I could ever imagine. This film really is wonderful. It's a wonderful piece of investigative journalism, and I'm really happy that you're going to be interviewing Rebecca and talking more about the film. And hopefully, some of you will watch it. It's it's an incredible film. 
and the things that we do in the name of fashion is appalling. But like the raising the awareness about what we put in, in our bodies as well as what we put on, on our, our bodies, bodies is important. It brings me back to excuses. Right. Humans are so good at making excuses and somehow feeling okay with their choices because of the excuses they make. Oh, there just aren't enough restaurants around or there's not enough places I can pick up food to go that's plant-based and healthy or I just can't because my brother picked up an expression from somebody he knew, you gotta wanna. And (laughs) when you want to do something, you do it. Yeah, it's okay to change. Yeah, it really is. Take it from me. It's okay to change. Yeah, it makes you... It's okay to change for the better, and this is definitely changing for the better. And it just... You just need to redirect your focus. And the focus is not just on you anymore. It's on all of us. It's the whole planet. Yeah. 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 Like I said, I'm happy that more people are getting the message. I just don't know if it's fast enough. The important thing is that we realize that this planet is all we've got. (laughs) And even though we might have these fantasies about traveling to other planets out in space, the the reality is we have to take care of it and one another and all life on Earth. I mean, that's what responsible eating and living is all about. I don't know if he wrote this or not, but it's been going around the interwebs a lot. So I'd like to read it to you as one of the last little bits here from me before Karen comes back to you and wraps this up. So the planet is all we have. And I read this piece that everyone has said was written by William Shatner, the William Shatner who played Captain Kirk on the Star Trek television series and movies. And he says, Last year I had a life-changing experience at 90 years old. I went to space. After decades of playing an iconic science fiction character who was exploring the universe, I thought I would experience a deep connection with the immensity around us, a deep call for endless exploration. I was absolutely wrong. The strongest feeling that dominated everything else by far was the deepest grief that I had ever experienced. I understood in the clearest possible way that we were living on a tiny oasis of life, surrounded by an immensity of death. I didn't see infinite possibilities of worlds to explore, of adventures to have, or living creatures to connect with. I saw the deepest darkness I could ever imagine. Contrasting so starkly with the welcoming warmth of our nurturing home planet. This was an immensely powerful awakening for me. It filled me with sadness. I realized that we had spent decades, if not centuries, being obsessed with looking away, with looking outside. I did my share in popularizing the idea that space was the final frontier. But I had to get to space to understand that Earth is and will stay our only home, and that we have been ravaging it relentlessly, making it uninhabitable. William Shatner. Pretty profound. 
Yeah, at 90 years old. Now, again, I don't have any proof that it was William Shatner who wrote it. I just saw it on... It's sure going around a lot. We are trying to let you know that this lifestyle that we have a nonprofit organization that supports is one way to save the planet, as well as the animals, both human and non-human animals. And it's not bad for your health either. (laughs) We are one small voice, a small voice for our planet Earth. And I think, personally, I think our message is the best. Other people have the same message, but I truly believe in this message as the best direction for humanity. Yeah. So 2023, let's go vegan. Go vegan, everybody. Veganuary is let's a place. Let's begin, begin with Veganuary. January, Veganuary, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's a good month to start. Amen. Gary. Karen. Have have a a delicious delicious week. week.